Rainmaker FM is brought to you by the Showrunner Podcasting Course, your step-by-step guide to developing, launching, and running a remarkable show. Registration for the course is open August 3rd through the 14th, 2015. Go to showrunnercourse.com to learn more. That's showrunnercourse.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of New Rainmaker. I am your host, Brian Clark, founder and CEO of Copyblogger Media, and today's special co-host is kind of a he's kind of a character. Mr. Ryan Dice, digitalmarketer.com. Smart guy, does a lot of very smart, lucrative things. Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about this collection? of businesses built on media websites that uh, kind of fuels the dice empire, if you will. I'm just excited that I'm a co-host. I didn't realize. Are we going to interview somebody else too? Yeah, no, no, see. Or do I have to be like prepared and stuff? No, I'm going to make you do all the work. That's, but if I said, here's our host, Ryan Dice, who's doing all the work and I'm just kind of here, that's not going to go over well. I thought I was like the very special guest or like the talent or the... We can, we can edit yeah. this to be very special guest. Yeah. Well, let's edit it in somebody else's voice. That way it's obvious it was done. Like, you're the kind of guy who would want your name, like, not in alphabetical order. It would have to be and Ryan Dice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's make sure we get that in, uh, in post, please. Um, gotcha. gotcha. So, as far as you know, well, yeah. we're going to take care of that. Exactly. By the time you find out about it, it'll be too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, th- no, really. I've been a uh, been a, I've been listening to this podcast since uh, since the very first one, and so it, it is. And I and I say this through gritted teeth because I never like to compliment a friend, certainly not uh, with them around. But uh, this is easily in the uh, top three. Some of my favorite my favorite podcasts. So thank you for having me. So to, no, to kind of answer the the question about as, as you've referred to it as the the Dice Empire, which is very gracious. I have a lot of uh, uh, people, you know, on the team and, and partners, stuff like that, that have as much, and in many cases, more of a role to play in the, in the success of the quote unquote empire. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're really fortunate that we're in a lot of different markets. I mean, and, and you and I have kind of the same perspective to this, this whole media first attitude, right? Like let's go out there and build media properties and, and gather the crowd and aggregate the attention and, and do that first. And that's kind of the way that, that my business has always been. And now we're in, I, I really don't know how many different markets, but uh, there's obviously digital marketer, which I think I'm best known for, but, uh, but some of the more lucrative things that we're in, we have, we own makeuptutorials.com, uh, survivallife.com, diyready.com, pioneersettler.com. So we're in all these different kind of really cool markets where we get to play and dabble in a lot of different areas, you know, and then share and report on all the stuff at Digital Marketer. So it's a lot of fun. It keeps it interesting. I'm, I don't know, are you, are you like me? Like, I think most entrepreneurs are like this. If you're forced to do the same thing every day, you will break it just so you can fix it. Yes. Right? Yes. Which is why I've started distracting myself with new projects. So I don't break the thing that actually pays the bills. Bingo there. And that, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's how the empire happens. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I remember when we finally met or maybe it was the second time we saw each other in Austin. Um, but it was after we started this podcast and you're like, I'm completely down with your media, not marketing approach. And, and that's where we really kind of started geeking out about things. Now, it doesn't take a genius in this day and age to realize that, you know, traditional media models are broken. But I've also heard you say that e-commerce models are in trouble. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean, kind of everybody's screwed, right? I mean, because it's with the e-commerce companies that are out there, they're getting commoditized left and right by, you know, I don't know if you've heard of this little company called Amazon, right? I mean, they're going out there and, and now most people, when they want to buy something, they just go to Amazon, 
right? I mean, Amazon yeah. has really become the search engine. So if you're out there trying to launch your e-commerce site, and this, I, we used to do this, right? And my, my business partner, I mean, we had, you know, he had a number of sites that, you know, little e-commerce sites that, that sold like dry erase boards and different things because people used to go to Google if they wanted to find something to buy. Now they realize, look, if I want to buy something, I'll just go straight to Amazon, right? Uh, they're members of Prime. You know, so, so the small e-commerce sites really can't compete. And now you've got Alibaba coming over the top on Amazon, and they're going to further commoditize it because now Alibaba is going to allow the consumer to go directly to the manufacturer. So another kind of uh, another you know, piece of that supply chain is getting removed, which is great if you're a consumer, it's not so great if you're an e-commerce player because how do you get found anymore these days? So yeah, I mean, e-commerce sites, they're getting, they're getting commoditized by the Walmarts of the internet just the same way that local mom and pop shops on Main Street got commoditized and eventually pushed out of business by Walmart. And yeah, at the same time, you've got these poor media companies that they can't make any money either. Yeah. And so here's a guilty admission on my part. And I don't even think it's about getting found with the Amazon thing in that, uh, I forget what it was, guy, you know, put out a great article about a certain supplement and gave me the information that I needed. And he's got the little shop attached to his site, you know, so you can order supplements from him. And of course, I you know, then copied the, the exact, you know, bottle and everything into Amazon so I could one click it. They got all, they've got my credit card information. They've got my delivery information. It's pure laziness more than anything because I actually did find it through this poor guy. He was doing everything right. But my number one rule is never sell anything that Amazon sells. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, in there, there are ways to there are ways to get around, like there, there are ways to win even if you're selling something that Amazon is, but you've got to completely change the model. Uh, and, and so I know for us, we spent a couple of years trying to figure out how can we beat Amazon? You know, how can, how can we win? You know, how do we, how do we make this happen? How do, you, how do you, you know, beat quote unquote Walmart, right? And the answer is you can't. Right. <laughs> that's what I you thought can't. the answer was. <laughs> right. You can't. No, and that, that's exactly the truth. You can't. But here's the other reality you can't beat them at their own game. But the other thing is, you really don't want to. You don't really even want to compete with them at what they're doing. You don't want to be Walmart. I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you ever shopped at a Walmart? I try not to, but, you know, sometimes. Sometimes you have to, right? Try yeah. not to, but some, but sometimes, but sometimes you have to, right? That's the general response, you know, that I hear from people. Be like, yeah, you know, I go there because they have the best price. I think the the web. I don't think it needs more WalMarts, right? Yeah. I, I think what it needs is. Have you ever now? Other question. Have you ever been to a Bass Pro Shop? Do they yeah, have yeah, those in your absolutely. area? It's uh, okay. You know, just a big outdoors person, outdoorsman. Is that? Gender neutral? No, it's not. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, you go in there and man, it's just so like no. uh, sports Outdoors and people. fishing and boats and guns and yeah. <laughs> Do they literally have so if, if if you're outside of the states or if you're in an area where they don't have an out you know one of these Bass Pro Shops or Outdoor Worlds? Um, let me describe it to you. Yeah, I mean, you walk in is it is about the size of a you know, it's about the size of Walmart, maybe even bigger, but it's just outdoor stuff. They literally, some of them have a pond in the middle. So you're going around and, and you're picking up a fishing rod and you're saying, you know, well, I wonder if this is a good fishing rod. And the dude says, well, why don't you just go try it right now? We've got a stocked pond in the middle of our freaking store. So you have people fishing in this store. And what was fascinating is when, because I went to one to see what is this whole thing about. I, I don't, I don't like camping. I like hotels and room service and stuff like that. Um, but I went because I wanted to see like this is a retail model that is working, right? This is a retail model that's actually working. That is that is winning. You know what are they doing so well? And I'm walking around and there's people that showed up at this place wearing camo, <laughs> right? They're not going hunting there. They showed up wearing camo. They showed up with duck calls around their necks, right? Yeah. It's not like they bought shoes at a shoe store and they're wearing them out, right? No, no, no. They showed up 
with the duck call. So what it really is, is what Bass Pro Shop has done is they've created this environment, they've created this movement, they've aggregated this audience. And then a buddy of mine who really gets e-commerce, named Ezra Firestone, he said, he's like, yeah, the, the, the future, in the future, like if e-commerce stores want to succeed, I think this is really profound. I think this is any online seller, right? You need to have your property, your site look a whole lot less like Walmart and a whole lot more like Disney World, mm. right? And if you think about Disney World, you go there for the rides, you know, you go there for the experience and for the fun and, and for just the whole package, but you exit through the gift shop. Yeah. And that's when that's when it hit. That's when this whole kind of kind of reality struck and that's why I said, okay, what you've got to do is you have to combine the two. Media and and commerce shouldn't be these separate things, right? Media should be used to create the environment, to aggregate the audience, to gather the crowd of like-minded people who are excited to be there then you have the opportunity to sell them your stuff. And they want to do it because they love you and they love your brand. I mean, that's what you've done with this podcast, right? You started out with the Rainmaker podcast, and then you come out with Rainmaker platform. Yeah. But the media, the gathering of the content, that's, that's what came first. So that's our whole model. Like everything that we do, it's, it's let's go out there, you know, and let's, let's, gather, let's gather the audience. So that you're a man after my own heart, obviously, in that regard. Um, but you're using a, a little bit different terminology. And this is what really kind of caught my eye. Native commerce. Where did that come from? Yeah, so native commerce is the new hipster approved phrase for this thing that you and I have been doing um, and just didn't give it a cool name. So that is the new thing. So don't confuse native commerce with native advertising. So native advertising is, you know, advertising that's designed to look like content, which really that's just a hipster approved name for an advertorial. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this right? is the hipster so, name for content marketing? I think it's actually, well, because I, I think this is about, this is about more than content marketing. Yeah. Right. This is, this is bigger. This is about creating community right? Mm. It really is about, it's about establishing in, you know, in your world, the theme park, you know, it's about building your own private little Disneyland, your own private little Bass Pro Shop, you know, in another area, do you have like a Harley Davidson dealership? Yeah. yeah in your area? Another cult brand, right? And they just show up, right? Another one be the Apple store. People go to the Apple store just to hang out, right? And, and so what I would consider, I look at all these different companies. And I say, these are media companies. These are media companies. What they're doing is they have built media and now they're, and they're selling them stuff. So yeah, so the, the big phrase that, that's out there right now, and you're, you're going to start hearing a lot more of it, is this, this concept of, of native commerce, right? Where the selling that is going on is directly aligned to the media property, which historically, those two things were kept separate. Right. You had your editorial team and you had your advertising team and they didn't talk. You had the, the wall up between them. And now what's happening is they're merging. It has to be done right. And it has to be very, very transparent. But when it's done right, it's powerful. So where I first heard this phrase, have you ever heard of uh, Ben Lehrer? Of, yeah. Uh, Thrillist? Yeah. So Thrillist, um, I actually subscribed to that in Denver for a while until I got beaten down by the frequency. But it's in, it's really a well-done media property for local, if you're in the right demographic, which I think they're going after the 18 to 34 male, right? Yeah. Again, it's, it's, I mean, I'm using the word hipster a lot because it's very appropriate, <laughs> but I mean, basically it's basically Esquire magazine for hipsters. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. I mean, for the young guys, like Esquire magazine goes a little bit Excuse a little bit older, um, and, and they're really going for yeah the the eighteen to you know maybe twenty twenty four you know but when you get up to you know in your thirties they're like Ew, you're old gross so so Thrillist which is definitely a property worth checking out um, in two thousand nine all right check this out in two thousand nine they did eight million dollars in revenues from ad sales from advertising almost exclusively which is pretty impressive right? But they had this giant staff, right? This giant editorial team, you know, all these people producing all this content and uh, it, it, it wasn't working. Um, so in 2010, they acquired jackthreads.com. Have you ever, are you familiar with jackthreads? I remember when they, when they did this transaction and turned effectively into, again, 
what we used to call a content marketing company. But I'm digging this native commerce thing, even if it is a hipster term. Yeah, but I think it's a, I think it's an important distinction, right? Because it, it's not it, it's not merely about you know I think a lot of people who are doing content marketing they see it as a separate activity, mm. like this is something that we do. This is this is the marketing component. It's not built in and really inbred into the actual. They don't really see it as a you know I think it's actually a part of the product. Yeah. Like you wouldn't say that Disney is doing content marketing. Right. No, the experience is all an aspect of their product and an aspect of what they deliver as a company. And I think that's a crucial distinction of really bringing these two together, fusing them that makes it work. And they and Thrillist did it. I mean, they acquired Jack Threads. They made a big deal and they say, "Hey, we now own this company." right? Very transparent. They didn't just start like, oh, we bought this company, therefore we've improved our margins in one of our top advertisers. No, they were very, very transparent about it, which if you were a follower of Thrillist and you believed them, you know, and you really loved what, what they were about, you were totally cool with. So they acquired Jack Threads in 2010. Remember I said in 2009, they did $8 million in revenue. In 2014, they grew to $100 million in revenue. So from 8 million to 100 million in about five years, and 80% of that revenue was e-commerce. E-commerce sales from Jack Threads. You know, it's interesting about this, and we've kind of touched on this in past conversations, but the whole reason I tried to explain um, content and audience building in terms of media, not marketing, and I saw a lot of light bulbs go off. But I think what you just said is another light bulb moment that I've kind of taken for granted that it's an integrated thing. We've always integrated. There is not marketing versus product development. We've always preached. It's one seamless thing that the audience drives. And that's exactly what Thrillist did when they made that acquisition. I think they had a pretty damn good idea what their audience was going to respond to. Yeah, look, they knew because they had already done the hard work. They had already gathered the crowd. And this is the thing I don't think, you know, I just, I just got back from a, from big podcasting conference. I know you weren't there, but a lot of members of your team were there yep. and I'm walking around talking to these podcasters who have a lot of downloads. They have a good following and they're not making any money. And I'm telling them like, you've already done the hard work. You've already gathered the crowd. You know, I mean, companies don't ordinarily go from 8 million to 100 million in five years. That's big. And people are like, oh, I can't believe they grew so fast. It's because they'd already gathered the crowd, right? They'd already gathered the crowd. The hard, the hard work was done. So, I mean, if you're out there and you're, and you're sitting and you've got a, a blog property that you've been posting to for a while or a podcast and, and you know, you, you have listeners and you have readers and you're just not making, you know, what you want to make, just know it, it. Don't stop doing what you're doing. You, you're doing the hard work. You're doing the important work. Yeah, and this is such a common story of the audience without the revenue. And I think it's a lack of integration thinking, frankly. All right. It's a, a, and yeah, it's, it's integration thinking. Sorry, before, but also, and, and I heard this at, because uh, I, I went at this conference, um, they were talking about mid-roll. You know, you know, mid-roll, yeah, the, the podcast, and I don't want to dive too much into podcasts. There's a lot of parallels between podcasting and blogging. I mean, it, it, cause it's all just media, right? So what they're saying, one of the questions was, well, how many, you know, where do I need to be before, you know, you'll consider selling space on my podcast, you know, talking to mid-roll. And I think their number was something like, well, we really want to see you getting at least 50,000 downloads a month right? 50,000. And you just heard the wind, like that room, everybody went, oh, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the problem with advertising. Yes. It's always advertising, been a problem. It, it only works at, at critical mass. I but mean, the that, problem is now, even when you get critical mass, it still doesn't work. That's why I gave up on, right from the beginning in 98, when I was building audiences, classic case you're just talking about and not making any money. It's because the numbers you need to make money from advertising are immense, but the amount of money I had to make when I figured out that the internet was a direct marketing medium, I, you could have an audience of a thousand and make a fortune if you're selling the right thing. And it was just a complete, that was the beginning of my entire career. And I, I still find that it's somewhat odd that we're still struggling with getting people to understand that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think you go back to the article, and if I'm sure you've read it, but if if some of the listeners haven't, Google 1,000 true fans. 1,000 oh, right, true right. fans. Yeah. 
right? I mean, it's it, a it basically makes a point that, you know, if you've got a thousand people that really love you, you, congratulations, you're set. You know, you're maybe not like popping, you know, champagne bottles for breakfast, but not that you should do that anyway. That's kind of, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I even went straight to um, that. But oh, that's a mimosa, I guess is appropriate. But, but you're, you're doing well. It's, and he shows the math of how a thousand true fans can really, can really support you if you're not just reliant upon advertising. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me the dice three-step process for making this happen. Can you do it? Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've been looking because it's actually quite simple, right? I mean, it, it, it really is. So the first thing that you got to do, which I think, and this is why I love talking to content marketers, because they get this. They get that this is step one. You know, content marketers and podcasters and just anybody out there, bloggers, right? This first step is to aggregate the attention, right? Get, start building the audience. But you don't have to start building the audience to a point of critical mass. Uh, I think people don't realize, like, if, you know, if you get 100 people that come and read your blog or that subscribe to your newsletter, people will look at that and be like, that's, that's nothing. But if you were offered a speaking opportunity to come and speak in front of 100 people, most people would jump at that. You know, we forget that these numbers that we're talking about online, those are all still people, yeah. right? And, and you can do well for that. So starting to do that, but, but here's the key. Here's the key. When you're yeah. aggregating that attention, it must be market-centric, okay? It must be market-centric. Centric, And this is why, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, media is in trouble. And usually what they mean is when you dig into the articles, they're talking about some news site. Yeah. Right? This news site isn't making it. Well, I think the reason is, is because most news sites don't, they're they're not market-centric. They don't advocate for a particular market, for a particular avatar, right? You look at like political news sites and typically most of those are doing a little bit better. Why? Because they're advocating for a particular market, people who are politics junkies. You know, a lot of your celebrity kind of news sites, they do because they're entertainment junkies. So you've got to be able to point when you're building your audience, you've got to be able to say, okay, this is my person. You know, this is who they are. Uh, And going back to it, like for Disney, Disney can say, this is who our market is. It's for the most part, families, right? And, and you get people who are just Disney buffs. They kind of have an additional market of the, of the people who just love Disney and they're just Disney nuts. But their market is families, right? You look at Apple. You know, Apple has always been about the kind of the, you know, the crazy ones, right? The technology nerds, you know, the people that just, they see themselves as, and part of Apple's problem as they're growing is, when it's everyone, the nerds start to go elsewhere. But, you know, why can Apple, you know, whether the watch is a big success or not, I think has more to do with the product. But if Apple were to come out with a car, you know, I know they, they, there were some mutterings they were talking about it. Would that be successful? Yeah, because if you define yourself as an Apple person, you want Apple stuff. Harley Davidson is the same way, right? They're media. They advocate for a specific person, for a specific market. So that's why... Yeah, that's why I think we need to start, start thinking about, you know, if you can't say, okay, this is who my person is, this is who I'm advocating for, this is who I'm talking to, then I, then I don't think this is going to work very well for you, right? You need to know specifically, yep, this is, this is who I got right here. Yeah. Um, the, so that's kind of the first step, knowing your who and starting to really advocate and to serve to serve that particular market. It's interesting, the, the hard problem of saving journalism I think boils down to exactly what you're saying because the idealism of objectivity, which we can argue about whether it was ever there or not, <laughs> um, right. is what keeps news companies from, from becoming Fox News, which is what still the most lucrative news organization in the world, even though a good chunk of the world can't stand it, but they know exactly who they're talking to. Flip side, go to MSNBC, and it's the other side of that very you know, broad right and left dichotomy. And, that, and that's exactly, so when you're aggregating this attention, you're not, you're not selling information, right? Even if what you're giving is content, you know, and I think, you're, you've, I think I've heard you say this before, content comes in two categories. There, it's information and entertainment, mm-hmm. right? You must be entertained. 
entertainment, okay? You must be entertainment. Now, does that mean that you need to get on there and like start singing and stuff like that? You know, no. no. It's, uh, it's coming not. up with the interesting analogy or, you know, I – I kind of became notorious for using pop culture references to try to teach people everything from copywriting to email marketing, right? And then that became a thing, so I stopped doing it. But that was the principle at the time. Make it uh, educational, but also, you know, bring a smile to someone's face so they actually make it through the article. Of course. And, and, and let them find someone who says, yeah, that's my person. And you're right. Fox News is a great example of that. Fox News is not information. Right. And I'm not saying this in a political sense. It's entertainment. Yeah. Right. MSNBC. Right. When you go and tune in, you know, if you're a liberal and you watch Rachel Maddow and, and I'm sure this is the same. I don't want to I don't want to make this overly Americanized because I know you've got listeners all over the world. But, you know, it, this is the case for all aspects of politics. People find the person. It's the case for business people. You know, you've got folks that, you know, really love Richard Branson and you got people who really, you know, all these different, you got people that really love Trump still, you know, <laughs> and you got all these people who have their person that they want to follow. And it's because they find them not merely informative, but also entertaining. Yeah. So offer a unique perspective, right? That's how you're going to aggregate attention for your people. You're not trying to do it for everyone, right? There's people I know for an absolute fact who do not like me, but they love you, Brian. Now, maybe we can like start sharing. I mean, there, there's people who they think that I'm whatever, you know, I'm, that I'm, I'm a douchebag or whatever, but they, <laughs> they think that you're really, that you're now, really nice. Little do they know. When you, I suggested that you, we lead with, you know, the question of whether or not you truly were a douchebag, you didn't seem to be fond of that. So I'm, I'm totally, no, the answer is yes. I'm your spin yes, doctor. Absolutely. I know you're Thank you. Solid. Yeah. <laughs> He's my PR guy. Yeah. No, but you get around, but there's, there's people that like, there's people like me, there's people that don't, there's people like you, there's people that don't, there's people. So the, at the best, all you can be is you. And I know that sounds like cliche, but it's, it's true. No, it's true. So when you're aggregating that attention, when you're, when you're getting, remember, it, you're an entertainer. You're not an informer. Look at how much, yeah, the, the people in the evening reading the national news, I'm sure they get paid well. You know, if they're on ABC or whatever, they don't get paid anywhere near as well as entertainers at the top of their game get paid. Right. So you're an entertainer. You're a storyteller. You have perspective, you have opinion, and that's why people are gonna tune in and continue to tune in. So that's kind of step one, is to start aggregating that attention, whether you aggregate it through a blog or through a podcast or you know, whatever medium you're most comfortable with, and you shouldn't limit it to just one. Wherever you start though, just remember that's what you're doing. Have that market. So uh, if we're gonna, I guess if you, the next step, which is the one people struggle with, is figuring out what people want to buy. And you have a very interesting perspective on this because we both believe in building audiences, you know, the, the warm relationship, the know, like, and trust. And yet you advocate using advertising or cold traffic to actually figure out what people want to buy. Am I getting that right? Well, specifically advertising on your site to figure out what they want to buy. So I think that you should advertise. So I think the big problem that, and the big, really the big mistake that a lot of content marketers run into is, they'll, and, and I hear them brag about it. They're like, you know, we don't, we don't allow any advertising on our site. Well, that's fine. We don't really allow any outside advertising on digital marketer either. And others saying, you know, we don't really do any promotions or anything like that. You know, we don't, we don't allow any third-party offerings. It's okay, you're just, you're limited. You're limited to what you can guess the market wants to buy. So while I don't believe that advertising is a great monetization strategy long-term for a media property, I do think that advertising, whether you're doing it by just opening it up and allowing advertisers to come in, or uh, whether you're advertising stuff as an affiliate. Ah, I think that advertising is a okay. great, it's great for market research. Yeah. This is how you figure it out. I mean, how did, how did Thrillist know that Jack Threads would be a good acquisition? Right. Well, uh, uh, Jack Threads had advertised on their site and kept renewing. Yeah. Right. That was always my point. If they keep buying, then clearly they're making more off of this than I'm charging. So maybe I should be them. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I should do that. I and it. I love 
advertising for market research. I love advertising for figuring out what people want to buy over like surveys, for example. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, oh, survey your list and ask them. Well, there's two big problems with that. Number one, surveys give you the opinion of people who are willing to take surveys, right? Yeah. Like me, somebody's like, oh, take a survey. I'm like, oh, Never. that's okay. I, don't I have, have time. <laughs> a life, right? Yeah. And, and it's interesting because we, I just, uh, I had Darren Rouse who, uh, you know, comes firmly from the blogging world, but he was talking about, you know, making uh, affiliate offers. And that's something I did in the early days of Copyblogger too, because you're right. It's not until they actually buy. I've never surveyed my audience one time ever to figure out what to buy. I do a lot of kind of weird observational stuff. Uh, and then I see if they buy things. Yeah. Oddly, we have surveyed. And some of our biggest flops have come because we gave people what they wanted. Ugh. What they thought they wanted. And the second way I said it was actually more accurate. The reality is most people don't know what they want. The more important reality is it's not their job to figure that out. It's yours. Right. That's the value that you provide. You're the expert. You're the authority, right? You tell them, hey, you should want this, right? Even if you don't realize it right now, we've done the research, we've done the testing, you know, we've figured it out this is, you're going to like this if you buy it, right? Now, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that positioning, but, and they're like, oh no, like, let them tell you what they want. Let them, I just think it's, that's one of those logical lies. That's one of those things where if I get, you know, if I get accused for being like douchey in, in the, oh, you're, you know, you're selling people stuff and, and they haven't asked for it yet. It's like, I know, like that's, that's also what kind of every like great, you know, product and, and business has done. They've given people something ahead of when they knew they needed it. There's always a place for, for filling those, right? And there's obvious stuff, you know, you know you should be doing this because it's working. But I would just be very leery of, of just putting it back on your customers. Say, well, you tell me what you want. It's like, are you going to do some of the work? You know, <laughs> Mr. Website Owner? Yeah. You know, will, will you do some of that? So I just think, I think people vote with their wallets, so if you have a media property right now and you're not taking advertising, uh, and, but you're not monetizing through other ways, but you've got this just staunch approach that, no, you know, we must, you know, we're ad-free, you're missing your greatest market research opportunity, right? You're missing your greatest, if, if, if just the idea of accepting money does it, then I guess place ads for free, right? At least get some data from it or run it as an affiliate. You know, go out there, find offers. If you're in a market worth being in, there will be someone selling something to your people, right? Yeah. And if you truly can't find anyone else out there serving the market, then you've unfortunately chosen very poorly or you just aren't looking hard enough. Um, this reminds it's me out there. of, uh, remember the old copywriter's advice that uh, if you see the same piece of direct mail in your mailbox month after month after month, study it because it's working. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's where copywriters would draw some of their inspiration because they knew it was actually being paid to be mailed over and over and over again. Therefore, it's probably a control, which means there's good stuff in there. Um, it's the same concept, but uh, this is even more direct. Your exact audience is, uh, for example, buying from Jack Threads enough to make it worth advertising over and over and over again. So Thrillist says, why don't we acquire that company? I mean, that, it's simple, but it's brilliant. Well, and you're a student of, of copywriting and marketing. Have you ever heard of, uh, have, have you heard, so you'll really appreciate this story. Uh, have you ever heard of, the, of Troy Built? Oh, no. They sell like the rototillers and the gardening things. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've run like short form infomercials and been in catalogs forever. So you've got the Troy built tiller. So here you are, you've got this land and you want to plant a garden. And so you buy this rototiller thing and you go out there and you, you know, chuck it all up. So check it out. The, the owner, I mean, he's, I think he's long since passed away, but the, the eventual owner of Troy built, do you know how he, how he made his riches the first time around? No. Selling rabbit's feet. <laughs> really? <laughs> Check this out. The original offer for the rabbit's foot. It's like the scammiest thing in the world. It was basically like, this is a magical rabbit's foot if you wish. I mean, you remember like rabbit's feet, right? Like when like, we were kids, oh, you yeah. could buy them. And like, 
they were like real feet of rabbit, like disgusting. I no know. one would even come close to accepting this. But back, back in the day, everybody's like, oh yeah, sure. I'm going to walk around with a rabbit's foot on my keys. This makes tons of sense apparently. So, so he, the original rabbit's foot offer was basically just a, if you wish upon this rabbit's foot, all your wildest dreams will come true, right? Now, understandably, the government set in, stepped in and said, hey, homie, um, you can't say that. Now, he tried to get around it by being like, it's a religion and this and that. Eventually, like, no, 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 dude, you're just lying to people. Stop. So his business, appropriately so, you know, was, was done. But he was able to rent his mailing list. Yeah. So he placed his mailing list. He was able to rent the mailing list. And he found that there was this person who had this rototiller that kept renting the list over and over and over and over again. So he reached out to that person and acquired the company. Reached out to the person, acquired the company, and the Troy built company, which is now a gigantic company who, you know, employs hundreds, if not thousands of people, giant, giant company, was built on the back of that, of that one offer. But now, again, I don't suggest that you go out there and, and sell a bunch of scammy stuff to, to build an audience. No, but the, the principle I is, suggest though, that you leverage, that, yeah. Yeah, he determined something that was selling off an audience he already had. All right, so step three, and this is another place that other people get stuck, and we've talked in a couple of different contexts just now about acquiring companies, obviously not uh, something that is open to everyone right out of the gate. I've talked a lot about how I use partnerships and collaboration uh, to get products done, and we build uh, a few here and there. What's your favorite approach? I know you guys create your original um, courses and membership sites. What do you do for your more physical-oriented companies to get those products to exist? Yeah, so if it's, if it's an individual product, we would always rather acquire if we can get it. So if we find that, wow, this particular thing is selling really, really well, then we'll try to acquire. But like you said, that's, that could be expensive to go to somebody and say, right. you know, hey, I want to buy your company can be tough. But, but I'll also say this, don't assume that you can't do it. If it's a good company, right? If it is a good company with good financials, okay? Solid financials that like a banker would look at and say, okay, and, it's, and it, it has good cash flows. What we've been able to do in the past is we have been able to purchase companies with a fairly small down payment, you know, and using debt, you know, using bank yeah. debt or, you know, from, from a high net worth individual uh, and just paying them, a, paying, them in it, paying them interest on it. Right. We've been able to acquire companies on the cash flow that is currently coming out of that company. Right. Makes sense. So you go and you buy the company, you put a little bit down, and then the cash flow that the company is created, creating today is basically what pays for the company. Well, as soon as you turn your media towards it, it's going to go up. You know, there's some other things. So that works out well. Now, not every company is for sale. It could take a while. It could be really difficult. So um, joint venturing is another way to do it. And I know you've, you know, you've done that a lot. You go to somebody who's got it and you say, hey, let's get in this thing together. I'll put my media muscle behind it. You handle this part. And maybe your partners, um, or maybe you just get a, a preferred, you know, maybe you just get a preferred royalty or, or commission or something like that. But the other thing that you do is, is you can just create it, you know, or source it. So We'll go, if we know something is selling, you know, really well, we'll go and get it sourced. You know, we'll, we'll go to, you know, we'll go to China if we need to and, and we'll source something. Or if it's, a, if it's an information-based product, um, which we sell a lot of those in the, in the crafting space, you know, we have a product on how to make cheese, right? <laughs> we don't know how to make cheese. We found someone who knows how to make cheese and do other types of crafting. We just put out a casting call. Hey, who knows how to make cheese? you know, found somebody that does, hired a production company. The whole thing cost us, I think, like between fifteen dollars and $20,000 to put together. And a lot of people would say, oh my gosh, how could you spend that much? Because we knew it would work. Yeah. We had already tested it. We already knew it would convert. It was already there. And so when you no longer are guessing, when you're no longer saying, well, I guess I'm going to create this product and hope that people buy it, right? When that's no longer what you're doing, you can make investments like that in these different products with, you know, with great confidence. But the idea is just, just get it. And then when you have it, be transparent that it's yours. You know, a, a lot of people say, well, don't you have to disclose if it's, it, whereas if it's advertising, you don't really have to disclose, but if it's yours, you're receiving a commission, you have to disclose it. And my thing is, yes, you do. 
And you should, if you've done a good job aggregating the, the, the attention, gathering the crowd, and they know, like, and trust you, then they're gonna be excited that you have it. And, the, and the, one of my favorite examples of this, so we do a big event every year called Traffic and Conversion Summit, right? So it's a bunch of small business owners talking about traffic and conversion, as the name would suggest. Well, last year at Traffic and Conversion Summit, we gave a booth to a company uh, that, we had, uh, that we had started called Hong Kong Tailors. And Hong Kong Tailors makes custom suits, right? So I get up on stage and I say, hey, by the way, one of our you know, sponsors isn't so much a sponsor. We actually own them. It's Hong Kong Tailors. So if you want to go out there and get fitted for a suit, you can. You know, by the way, if when your suit comes, you've got three arms, you know, hey, my bad. You know, please don't be mad at me or anything like that. You know, and people laughed and they rushed out, but they wanted to get the suit, even though, what do I know about suits? Nothing. But they, they know me, they know Digital Marketer, they like it, and they trusted that no matter what, we were going to do right by them. And we kept hearing that again and again and again and again. Uh, and, and the same was true with Thrillist, you know, and, and uh, Jack Threads. If you love Thrillist, you wanted to now buy from Jack Threads. They had created Disney World. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, if, if you've done it correctly, not only should you be proud to announce that it's yours, but you should get that, that type of reception. And, and again, you're way safer. And if we're in, still in the realm of any sort of guesswork, it's about as highly educated a guess as you can get when you're actually serving an audience of real people as opposed to some idea you had that you ran out and built and then tried to figure out how to sell. Yep. And we've done it in, like I said, the crafting space. We've done it in the makeup space. You know, all these different markets that we know nothing about because the market tells us this is what we want. Okay, yep. we'll get it for you. We'll get it for you. All right. So you may be infallible, but uh, I've made about 100,000 mistakes over the last 17 years. If you can find that you have made a few, could you share them with us? <laughs> Yeah, this one time I thought I made a mistake, but it turned out I didn't. So, but I'm bump. Yeah, no, um, no, yeah, no. We've we've screwed up a lot, um, tons, tons and tons and tons of facts. So yeah, some of the things that we figured out along the way, we were really successful early on when we were doing this in um, in having a subscription, a, a, a subscription component. Right. as one of the things that we were offering. So whether it was a higher level of the media property or an association or a thing of the month that you're going to get. Um, and so we tried to force feed that into uh, every market that we went into. And we found that it just flat out didn't, want, didn't work in a lot of them. So uh, I think that not every market is gonna lend itself to subscription. And that's the thing that a lot of people in the media space wanna do. They wanna create, oh, we've got this, this club or this higher level. We've got this paywall for this stuff in there. I mean, we have it with Digital Marketer Lab, which is the higher level of Digital Marketer. Um, you have it with Authority, right? Which is the higher level of, of Copy Blogger. Um, so it's, it works in a lot of markets, it doesn't work in a lot of markets too. So don't necessarily try to force that. Don't necessarily try to, um, try to force the, the subscription side of it. Just get them what, figure out what they want. And that's the thing. Like in a lot of these markets, if we'd have gone out and tested or just acknowledge, wow, there's no really other subscription offerings in this space. Maybe there's a reason for that. They're just buying a lot of stuff. You yeah. know, let's just give them, let's give them what they want. So that's the first thing that we learned. We wasted so much time and money really trying to force subscription. Yeah. Let me, let me share you with something on that because you're about to see the next ridiculous VC and private equity bubble uh, because we went out and talked to a few people. And again, we ended up going uh, with, uh, with debt. You know, we took out a couple million bucks instead of taking someone else's money because we have a good relationship with our bank and we're highly profitable. All those things that investors apparently hate, but Right. All they want Ew. is recurring revenue. Like every company in the world is going to be recurring. And I'm just like, oh, Lord. You know? I mean, but that's, that's how it works. It's the next trend, and then there's nothing but that. Yep. And, and what you're starting to see is, uh, you know, people not wanting it, not wanting to sign up for it, and when they're in it, canceling like crazy because they look at their credit card statement, and they're just inundated with all these subscription offerings. I don't need a subscription service for toilet paper and a different one for razor blades and a different one for this and different. I mean, it's just kind of like, God dang guys, like, yeah. you know, so I think you're still going to have it in premium areas. Uh, it it in, makes in a lot of sense. Like your site, 
authority. These are continuing education for professionals. I mean, and, and they're yep. reasonably priced. I mean, the return you get on that, it makes absolute sense. And maybe the razor thing, I've actually contemplated that because the razors in the in the store are outrageously expensive. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that, you know, that kind of recurring commodity thing and you don't want to think about it and you don't want to go shopping and you don't want to run out. Maybe. I don't know. But there is a limit to it, especially when you start seeing your credit card statement and you're like, I don't need all this stuff. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't do it, but don't force it, right? If it's not there, if you're not seeing it, don't force it. We, we had that in the beauty space because we're like, oh, Birchbox. Yeah. What we found is that, you know, that, that type of thing, they just, people really aren't wanting that. Now, in some other aspects of beauty, we could pull it off. But when it came to like makeup samples and stuff like that, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't jiving. The other thing I would say is don't overvalue product. Don't, people spend so much time creating their product. People will spend years working on their product. Um, people will invest lots of money or they'll try to, to, to buy a business that has a product that they think is really, really cool, but without aggregating the attention first. And, and, and it's just so exhausting. I've seen this happen to friends of mine where they've just spent a lot of time creating a product, creating a product, creating a product. Now it's done. They're like, okay, it's done. Now what do I do? It's like, well, now the hard work starts. So yeah, and it's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you aggregated the audience and you know what you're doing, then you go and you create the product and it's exciting because when it launches, boom, you just announce it to the audience that you already have. Um, and, and you don't have to wait. And, and just remember, like for us, and I think this is important, a product does not a business make. For us, the market defines our business, not the product, yeah. right? Where you have these people that are here and then they're gone, they're one-hit wonders. That's like a singer that had their one great song. That was their one product. Um, that's the piano key tie. You know, I want to be Chanel, I want to know, okay, this is the Chanel woman. We need to make her this type of person, this type of dress. And as long as we're always advocating for this type of woman, the styles may change, but we'll always be here. Um, so that's the other thing. And I think if you're media first, then that's kind of innate. You never get tied to a product, but just be careful. No sacred cows out there with the products. And then finally, don't limit yourself to what you know or to what you are passionate about. Uh, I see people all the time doing this. They're like, well, I'm really passionate about this. Like, well, that's really adorable. Um, do you know that other people are too? Are they willing to pay? Like, do you have a reason to exist there? Um, so think like a publisher, you know, think like a producer. I, I don't really, I mentioned before, I'm not all that into outdoors. Like one of our markets is survival life, right? We're in the survival and preparedness space, which now it's really more outdoors. We sell a lot more camping gear and stuff like that. We actually have one of the number, one of the top selling tactical knife brands in the US because of the media that, that we own. So I'm not passionate about that, but I don't have to be passionate about that because I'm the publisher, right? Uh, publishers aren't passionate about every book they put out. I'm certainly not passionate about makeup, you know, so. The producer just, mentality, but, you know, eventually uh, producers make all the money if, you're, if you think in terms of the Hollywood model. Uh, and they're not necessarily passionate about every film. So they are definitely following that methodology. I think it's hard when people start because if you're the content creator, it takes something to get you to show up every day. But once or if you change your model, then it's much easier not to have to need that subject matter passion <laughs> in order to show up at work. And that. Again, it goes full circle to what we said, which is entrepreneurs tend to get bored and uh, you're going to break the thing if you're in it too closely. Maybe step back a little bit and uh, yeah, think about more of a business slash producer mentality. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be passion on the team, right? I mean, I'm not passionate about makeup, but we have somebody on the team who is. There needs to be that passion there. What I'm suggesting is if you're content marketing about content marketing because you love content marketing and so all you want to do is talk about content marketing, then maybe, and it's not working out and you're having a hard time breaking through because of jerk faces like Brian Clark who are <laughs> gobbling up all the content marketing real estate, then maybe what you should do is deploy your content marketing expertise and skills as a publisher um, as the, what I would argue is the more important half of a business partnership with someone who is passionate about a subject, who can be the expert, who can bring that passion, who can bring that, that enthusiasm. 
And what you bring is the enthusiasm for the thing that you're great at, which is content marketing, which is publishing. Uh, so just don't limit your, yourself and your markets to what you know. Uh, there's so many out there and so many that are underserved that w- and that, that want to be served. I uh, certainly want to be served in this model where you're giving them that, you know, one-stop shop Disney World experience. Well said and a great place to uh, stop, I think. So tell people where they can find you. And I just found out that you have finally entered the world of podcasting. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have a, uh, so you can find me. Uh, you want me just like give them my home address? So they can just well, come and yeah. swing by? Know, I'm parked out in front of your house right now. Yeah, so I'm uh, 1439 Elm Street. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no, so digitalmarketer.com is where, uh, where we do that voodoo that we do. And uh, so hopefully you go to Digital Marketer and read some stuff that we got on, the, uh, got on our blog there. Maybe you like and you want to sign up so we can inundate you with, uh, with email and, uh, and offers um, unapologetically. So that's so digitalmarketer.com is, is where you can definitely find us. And yeah, we did. Digital Marketer just launched, a, uh, just launched its first podcast. It's called Perpetual Traffic. And, um, you know, we debuted at number one in business. I think we got up to like number seven in, uh, you know, all podcasts for, you know, we kind of were able to hang out there for a good little bit. You know, we're still doing really well in the business and and the marketing categories. But uh, everybody's like, oh, how did you do that? Simple. We own media. And so when we launched it, we were just able to tell all of you know our five hundred thousand closest friends that we just launched a podcast, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's the power of already gathering the crowd. So, when you own media, not only can you do native commerce, but you can also birth other media. And uh, I just think that's why I think everybody who's here, we're totally preaching to the choir. If you're listening to this, but just know you're you're starting at the right place. You know, you've you've found. Be thankful that you found this world when you did because you're doing it the right way. Um, you're, you're definitely starting at the right place. And once you've aggregated the attention, then you can go out to all those, all those people who started at the product phase and are you know, weeping and gnashing teeth because they spent all their time on their product and they don't know how to sell it. And you can go in and really help them out um, one day. So. Yep, and it's early days. Everyone wants to say, well, if I would have started 10 years ago, it's still early, I think, in this p- particular transition, I guess, if you will, from the way media used to work and is kind of falling apart in front of our eyes and we're kind of inventing the future, which, you know, not to be grandiose, but it feels pretty good. You're in a good, we were born in a, in a, a wonderful uh, place in time. Cause yeah, I, I agree. The fact that no one can agree even on what to call certain things tells you we're early. We're really, really early, uh, but it's going to happen fast. So I wouldn't hang around, you know, too long. Yep. Ryan, thanks for stopping by today. This has been a uh, fairly substantial uh, conversation, but it's also right up my alley. Um, But I I love your perspectives. I'm going to kick around this uh, native commerce term a little bit. Uh, I'm always really slow to adopt new terminology, but uh, it makes sense. It does. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. Really. Yeah, no problem at all. All right, everyone. We will be back uh, next week with more, but uh, hang in there. Keep going. And we'll talk soon.